0: Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. And right now, I'm calling in from this year's edition of one of the major events of the Fall Fest calendar, the Toronto International Film Festival. For the next few days, I'll be rallying some of the best critics in town to talk about all the titles that are premiering here. So you know the drill. Follow along on the Film Comment podcast and also keep your eye on the Film Comment letter for dispatches, interviews and more from Toronto. It's been a minute since I've done a festival podcast. some on the ground fest reporting. So I'm really thrilled to be at the Toronto Film Festival It's the opening night, and I'm here to talk about all the movies that I've seen today with two of my favorite podcast companions. Mark, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: I'm Mark Ash, a soldier for cinema, a contributor to Film Comment and other fine publications, and a very eager participant in this uh, sequel to one of my favorite uh, podcasting experiences uh, when we did TIFF last year at about one in the morning with us and
0: with...
2: Hello, I'm Maddie Whittle. I am a programmer at Film at Lincoln Center uh, and a contributor to Film Comment among a small handful of publications. And I am so thrilled to be here uh, talking TIFF.
0: Yes. So last year, Mark, uh, Maddie and I did a very late night podcast. We kind of you know, soldiered through uh, sleep deprivation. And of course, today I'm extremely sleep deprived. It's the first day we all just got here. We're still getting our bearings. So I had to call on them to help me help me get through this uh, first episode of our TIFF series. So first of all, sorry if we sound groggy or out of it. Uh, we're going to do our best to give you crisp and, you know, meaty insights. And also, if you hear any background noise, we're in the lobby of a hotel. It's the best we can do sometimes at a festival. Please forgive, or maybe it'll make for some nice um, some nice background. You can sport. hear the,
1: the 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 sort of lapping of water at the edge of the koi pond <laughs> in the lobby of the Hyatt on King Street in Toronto. Just to just to paint a picture,
0: yeah, just some local color. Um, so. There are actually a number of pretty major fall titles uh, showing at this year's festival in the coming days, and we'll be digging into all of them. There's new films from Hamaguchi, Bonello, uh, Harmony Korine, Teddy Williams, you know, lots of much-awaited titles. But today, like I said, we just got here, and we thought we'd start off with a quick roundup of some more under-the-radar gems that we've actually already managed to catch here. Uh, And maybe we'll begin, Mark, with a title that, not so under the radar, but, you know, it's a a new filmmaker. Uh, The film premiered at Cannes and won the camera door. The film is Inside the Yellow Cocoon by Famthi and An. And, you know, I missed it at Cannes, and I was looking forward to seeing it, but also I heard people say very pleasantly that it was slow and beautiful. And so when I went in today and I went because, I must say, I lined up to watch the new Bertrand Bonello film, The Beast, for about half an hour before we were told that the projector wasn't working and the screening was canceled. And so I decided to just like go to uh, Yellow Cocoon, all three hours of it. And I was a little afraid that it would be a festival. Slow and beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, you know, slow and beautiful in that kind of like a new filmmaker who's getting accolades at a film festival sometimes those films you know hue to a you know certain kind of uh, dare i say accomplished but perhaps not scintillating form and i was really surprised i mean this film is fantastic it is it just is it's quite remarkable that it's a uh, uh, you know uh, a debut feature and at the same time, you know, it, it, it in the sense that it feels very assured, but at the same time, it does feel new. You know, there is that kind of like pulsating kind of thing of uh, this is someone really willing to try new ideas. and And there's a kind of someone who's still finding their voice. And that means that the film takes a very kind of unpredictable shape. So, Mark, would you be able to summarize it or should I take on that?
1: Well, I was going to say that one of the fascinating things about TIFF is that there are every is that so many people can chart their way through a huge lineup aggregated from all of the year's festivals. So, depending on what you've been lucky enough to go to earlier in the year, whether that's whether you're coming direct from Venice, as some absolutely demented people insist upon doing, or whether you've been to Locarno or were at Berlin or Cannes, then you have then you're spending so much of your time here catching up with with your peers and they're spending so much time catching up with you so i think that that's something that's really fascinating about going on to um a podcast and somehow getting lumped with the plot summary of a movie that you saw today and i saw in late may at the end of the longest two weeks of my life
0: okay we do do not reveal how the sausage is made okay (laughs) all films talked about here have been watched in the last four hours
1: (laughs) i will i what i will say what i i can actually because i think i also i had a similar experience um watching this film um And in fact, I sort of, I remember very specifically something that, uh, I sort of sat right up and took notice, um, I think in the first shot of this film, because I knew going in that it would be this sort of slow, beautiful, poetic, long take East Asian, uh, Hubert Balls fund, uh, title card an hour into a three hour movie kind of thing and I was like oh great like this can be as derivative as it need as like as I, I there's no limit to how derivative this could be I would still you enjoy it. You
0: articulated my apprehension <laughs> way more specifically. Yeah <laughs> but I
1: that's the that's the garbage that I crave but I but I also felt but the, the very first shot of the film is this sort of establishing shot in this at a sort of a sort of outdoor like artificial turf soccer field and there's a game going on and there's vendors in the foreground and there's sort of a mascot like doing his thing and there's like people watching and like motorcycles motor scooters going back and forth and you have no idea what the focal point of this is the first shot of the movie you have no idea what's happening in this movie you have no idea who, who this filmmaker is and the way in which he sort of begins to artic- begins to sort of focalize in this scene is the camera moves on the mascot the mascot walks across the frame from the soccer field to this outdoor restaurant and the camera moves with the mascot and the mask and the, and then the mascot sort of hands off the camera to the to the protagonist sitting at an outdoor table and you realize oh this guy knows what he's doing that's a very gratuitously funny uh, way of bringing us into this bringing us into this movie while also retaining all of these wonderful textures and doing sort of a very puckish scene handoff and then these three guys are sort of sitting outside at this restaurant talking about uh the city versus the country and uh the soul and the nature of the soul and all of these things that this movie is going to be about and it starts to rain all of a sudden very suddenly like it starts to pour rain uh, I don't know. Storm, if, yeah, and I don't know if they, I don't know how they accomplished this, but there are many such fortuitous slash plan slash uh, expertly achieved uh, grace notes that seem almost divine in the film, and there is off screen a motor scooter crash.
0: Yeah, and so this crash happens, and it's you know I don't want to get into the weeds because there's a lot that the film leaves ambiguous, a little bit elliptical that I found very productive. But there is a crash. It seems that there are two adult victims and a child. And then later, after some other kind of red herring sequences, including at a kind of shady massage parlor spa, we kind of alight upon the protagonists of this film, Tian, who is this young man. We never really find out much about him, what he does. And his nephew... Dao, who has lost his mother in an accident, and so Tian basically takes Dao back to their home village. Um, Dao's mother it was Tian's sister-in-law, uh, and Dao's father, Tian's brother, has been missing for several years. So the rest of the film kind of just follows him as he goes back to his village. Um, meets up with family and neighbors. Seems to be on a search for his missing brother. It's not entirely clear how actively he's searching. There's a funeral. Uh, he meets up with other people from a past he gave up when he left this village and moved to Saigon. And there's a, there's many scenes of him being this very tender paternal, you know, avuncular figure to Dao. That is what the plot of the film is. But when I said that, I found it so unpredictable and assured yet new. You know, what Mark described as that like opening kind of flourish, the shot, you don't know where it's going to focalize. Then it follows one person, but then it completely shifts. I mean, that person leaves the movie, the frame, and then it shifts to the scene at the bar and then it shifts to the road. This film is packed with, visual and formal gestures like that. It's complete. I mean, it's like so densely packed with these little moments. So where I expected something slow as in like long tableaus, you know, that stay on the screen for one minute, it's slow in the sense that it moves at a slow pace, but there's so much happening in each frame. Formally, narratively, details emerge very slowly from like stray conversations It's just, it's so well modulated and like just, again, so dense. And I I truly just saw the film like an hour ago. So I'm trying to cling on to an inventory, all the like fantastic images and tableau this film has. I mean, I'm thinking of the last hour. There's this moment where he's driving down this mountain road and then he stumbles upon this kind of swarm of tiny white birds. And then you zoom out to this, uh, immense kind of wide shot of this mountain road with fog hanging over it. You know, it, it's just all these little gestures and you're constantly trying to piece them together. And there there are a couple moments where I thought, okay, it's getting kind of navel-gazy. There's this flashback sequence with an old girlfriend uh, and they're just about to part. There is also an encounter with An old lady who is very much the, you know, old, wise Asian grandma who often appears in movies like these to give pithy, spiritual advice. And as she is talking to him, I was like, man, I I just was with this film and it had to do this little cliche. But then the scene immediately, like, changes. Like, someone comes in and is like, don't pay attention to her. She talks to everyone like that. You know, so it's like constantly catching itself in the act of what it's doing. And... I just found it so tender. Like, you don't learn anything about this protagonist. You first meet him intimately while he's getting a kind of, like I said, seedy massage, you know? Um, And then...
1: And he keeps ignoring his cell phone.
0: Yeah, so that (laughs) this lady can jerk him off. But then you see him, like, go pick up his nephew and just take care of him in this wonderfully intimate tender way he does magic tricks he tries to kind of like explain to him what death and faith are without overdoing it because he's clearly not some like very articulate guy i just found that so touching the portrayal of that relationship
1: i also you remind me um he does a lot of car tricks and with um and he's always wearing because he's out. It's summer in the Vietnamese countryside. He's not wearing a shirt, or he's wearing a tank top, and he's, there's nothing up his sleeve. So he's doing these actually quite impressive. And again, because this is a very long take art house film, there are you are you are trying to find the seams. You are tr- and you can't quite find the tricks in it. There's a lot of practical magic in it.
0: It there is.
1: I think a lot of people will think this mo- will find this movie very similar to uh Be Gone because there's a scene where it, he gets true, on a scooter yeah. and then mm. the cameraman <laughs> gets on another scooter and they follow him and it's all one shot. Yeah. And I think similarly there's an interest in sort of uh, uh these sort of flir- sort of otherworldly flourishes that happen in a very um in a very sort of seemingly uninflected realist register just a lot of um, a lot of moments where um, something something shifted and you didn't see it happen and mm-hmm. now you're on sort of another plane of spiritual existence
0: I mean one of those moments is made out of just like this shot of scooters driving down the road with the headlights on bright and they kind of flare you know uh, on the lens and one of those flares just leads you into, another register like mark was mm. saying it's just full of these moments and yeah i just i think be is um a great reference point mark i i was trying to figure out what it reminded me of and you're so right uh a long day's journey in Tonight, the begun film a peach pong is another very obvious reference everyone's gonna you know name a peach pong i think when they see this film and um i think there is there is a lot of like that kind of yeah magical realism this kind of sly movement between naturalism and then archness uh an offhand but still um attentive attitude to spirituality there's just a lot of those kinds of similarities but there is something very modernist to the begun-esque kind of um yeah just this this proclivity for tricks and it, just something like the, clearly this like almost fetishization of film form but not in a way that's grating at all and yeah I just want to just say again I just the portrayal of masculinity I really was moved by because again this is a man who takes on his nephew and just cares for him so beautifully and the film doesn't bother to go into why and like into the drama of of why people care for each other, it's actually like full of little gestures of people just caring for each other, people being really kind, and there's no, it's not like, you know, there's no justification. We're just, we're just invited to take these relations, uh, and these relationships and moments like on their face, which I found, yeah, very moving and and very refreshing. So that's inside the yellow cocoon shell. Uh, one to watch out for as it comes to the New York Film Festival, if if uh, you will be in New York.
1: I should talk now about another film that's going to be at the New York Film Festival. And I think that's something that I would love to encourage everyone to, all the listeners at home out there in radio land, to podcast land, to um, check out. I think that it's a short film that'll play in the sort of experimental Threat, strand of the New York Film Festival and it's a 3D film and as I've become more attuned to these sorts of things, I'm cognizant of the fact of, for those of us who are lucky enough to have a certain amount of film festival going uh, in our lives it's uh, it's one of the few opportunities you get one gets to see um, 3d experimental films these are films that require a very specialized projection setup that not a lot of places have and they are not particularly commercial propositions and um, so earlier this summer uh, anthology film archives showed a selection of 3d stroboscopic 3d shorts by blake williams a toronto-based filmmaker uh, in conjunction with the film he co-directed, The Wonderful A Woman Escapes, and I had the opportunity to see a lot of Blake's shorts, and I uh, and all of them uh, are sort of brought to bear in his new one, which is here in TIFF and will be in New York, com, called Labyrinth Sequence. It's a 20-minute stroboscopic 3D short film shot in a public park with a hedge maze in Barcelona. Uh, that's how it starts, anyway. and. It sort of begins with a series of views of the park and sort of still shots and then still shots from within the maze. It sort of begins to pan. It begins to sort of zoom in up and through the maze a little bit and sort of maybe get lost. The Your point of view gets sort of lost in the maze. So you have to reset and the movie starts again and it repeats a couple of the same shots and then... Shows you a different, a different view of the park in a different way, a different sort of series of views through this public. It becomes a sort of uh, geographical and narrative, like a garden of for- a garden of forking paths, like a sort of Borgesian meditation on public space. Ooh, Borgesian, and, eh? And I think so because I think there are sort of layers of of perspectival play and layers of meta and layers of fiction that eventually as the film sorts of as the film sort of morphs from being this structural structuralist take on a hedge maze where you have to go forward and backwards both narratively and geographically it becomes also maybe a more textural thing uh as as Blake starts to sort of Use more uh, stroboscopic light strobe, uh, strobing lighting effects. Uh, it becomes more of a metafictional thing as he layers in um, uh, something that he does, which is a very, which I think is a relatively unique um, thing that he does in um, as an experimental filmmaker, which is to film film old 2D content off monitors with a 3D camera or two 3D cameras to sort of create this very multi-layered effect that in this case, because it's an old William Cameron Menzies film a, a, about a hedge maze, I guess. I don't know. I, have, I haven't even, I've been too busy to look up what it is, uh, becomes another layer of possibility and reality sort of layered on this place. And not befitting a 3D film, the, the sort of number of dimensions that he is able to, layer on top of a place uh, speaks to um, our various personal relationships with uh, a given location and its geography and its past, present, future, and alternate versions. And it's endlessly pleasant to look at. Um, He's very interested in uh, what the ground looks like in 3D from a gondola, this sort of Rather than a rather than a proscenium sort of foreground and background, if the foreground and background are sort of flipped into a vertical view, and it it's a wonderfully pleasant film. It's a very beautiful film. I'm I'm delighted with it, and I think it's in its mix of uh, structure, in its mix of structuralism and pure texture. uh, I think it uh, is really. Remarkable achievement from him given what he's done in the past. Uh, and so I would love for as many people as possible to come see the rare opportunity to see a new 3D experimental film at the festival.
0: Lovely. I can't wait to see it. Um, that was very evocative. And it also reminded me a little bit of a film I know we'll discuss more later at this festival, but The Human Search 3. Uh, by Teddy Williams, Uh Maddie.
2: Opening night of the current section of yeah, the exactly. 61st New York Oh God, films. this
0: is sounding like an NYF of ad <laughs> podcast. Sorry. <laughs> no more NYF of mentions. <laughs> but just what you were saying, Mark, about bringing out the various dimensions of space and texture and challenging kind of staid and classical approaches to space. I mean, that's so much what Teddy Williams does in The Human Surge 3, which is all filmed with a 360-degree camera in different locations with different characters in each of those locations, much like in, in the first uh The Human Surge. Uh but then he kind of Yeah, he coalesces them sometimes. He composites these spaces sometimes. Sometimes you're watching them like kind of, I don't know, like as if like they're walking on top of like a spherical surface or something. You like know, all these a like weird
2: shell kind of.
0: Yeah, all these weird perceptual and spatial um I don't even know whether to call them tricks because I think they're just openings like you're just looking at these things, you know, from different angles and ways that are sometimes not accessible to us um in in kind of lived life but I don't know it, it, it's I I it's not exactly like a virtual experience because there's something very tactile uh, very living and breathing about the images he captures. So I don't even want to call it like desktop or virtual. They're they're photorealistic.
2: They're very immersive. Alive. Very, um, sort of the closest closer to virtual reality than to any other kind of digital representation. Right, but say. but it's still photography.
0: Right. So it, it's not even and you're watching it in two D. So there is this like it it feels photorealistic in that way, but at the same time it does capture that sense of living in a hyper-connected, globalized world where we are more connected than we think, but also sometimes that sense of connection can be illusory. Like there are still things separating people, uh, putting people on different planes, you know, real material things, whether it's borders or wealth or whatever it is. And I think it just captures that sense of, freedom
2: but also illusion like really beautifully well you know i sort of building on what you're saying i don't i personally don't have a sophisticated enough understanding of like the physics of optics and lenses to understand exactly what's being done to the image but i will say it in some ways sort of experientially uh reminded me of you know google street view something is sort of absolutely crude and rudimentary sensorially but sort of spatially vivid as that. And the way in which it moves through space and specifically moves around the human characters and sort of through them and among them and over and under, it creates this sense that objects and their setting and their environment are all fluid. They're all part of sort of the same medium that the camera is moving among. And it's there's sort of a hypnotic effect that I think is... Uh, just accentuated by the way in which sound plays a role in this, and the sort of uh, uh, kind of almost looping quality of the soundtrack, um, and it's just very—it's—it's it's one of those movies where you don't really perceive time pass until you know maybe there's a a a, a cut or some some kind of punctuation that alerts you to the fact that oh wow oh, I've been in this for a while you know.
0: Yeah, I, I, time is also a good thing to mention. The film does conjure this feeling of being in a looping present, which is also, again, it, it, there's something about just like the texture of contemporary life, which is not just how we live it physically in physical space, right? We kind of do live in these in-between realities. Just that texture of how we experience time and space is captured really wonderfully in the film. And the film like involves sections shot in Sri Lanka, Taiwan, and Peru. And in each section, you know, Teddy kind of follows around a a group of youngsters, kind of aimless uh, wanderers. It's not really clear what they're up to. They're chatting. The content of uh, their banter is also, it's not clear what they're referring to, what they're talking about. They talk in this like kind of arch looping cadence that um, Maddie was referring to. And they all speak in these different languages. And, you know, I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak uh, Taiwanese. I do understand Tamil. So I had this specific experience of the film uh, where a lot of the time the dialogue kind of all overlaps and it's not clear who is saying what. And I had this one point of entry where, like, I could tell when the dialogue was in Tamil and who was speaking. But I was just wondering, like, this film would be experienced so differently by people who have different linguistic entry points. And also, the figures are made really remote in a lot of the shots, so the, the people are not fully discernible as characters. You don't often know the connection between, like, sound and speaker, So there's all these disorientations. And again, all these various points of entry, which, I mean, I keep saying this, but it's, I I so rarely see a film that really feels like it captures what it what it feels like to live today you know we have all these films that are like yeah like desktop films or films about social media all of that stuff these days but this is a film that I would show like I don't know 50 years later to my kids or you know to even though the it's it doesn't show like life today, it's not like it's full of people using technology. But it captures that like texture of what it feels like to be alive today,
2: and and the sort of virtual nature of every the, the way in which virtuality permeates the way we in, interact with the actual physical environment. It's really, um, I mean, you know, when you think about TikToks or you know any number of different social media formats there's something you know the, those are media and i think teddy williams is very interested in uh using the media of, a, of film in ways that can get at without imitating yes. the ways in which these media work absolutely so we will have more to say about the human surge because i just think it's
0: yeah it's one we'll want to uh, unpack but Another big highlight from the Toronto Film Festival. Maddie, I know that you also saw a couple films today that you really liked that are also by newer directors. Uh, Can you talk about them?
2: Sure. Uh, I just want to put in a quick word for a couple of really fascinating documentaries uh, by first-time filmmakers that I saw today that um, I think both of them feel very sort of vibrantly new in the 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 sort of vision that's being put forward in a way that I think often makes for a film that might be hard to find at a festival because it's a a voice and a vision you haven't seen before but if you seek it out if you know what to look for you might be rewarded The first film I want to talk about is called The Mother of All Lies. It's uh, by a first-time Moroccan filmmaker named Asmé El-Moudir. And she won Best Director for this film at uh, Un Certain Regard at Cannes this year. Uh, And so already, you know, this was sort of a film to watch. Um, And I think it is a remarkably unique approach to enactment uh, and 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 playful, but also uh, uh, very thoughtful. The sort of hook of this film uh, is that the filmmaker is interviewing her family members, her grandmother, her mother, various extended family members uh, about her family history and the sort of political context of uh, the, a particular moment in the history of Morocco uh, and early specifically early eighties in Casablanca, this event known as the bread riots happened where uh, there was striking that was violently suppressed by the military and uh, a, a large number of casualties. And this happened in the neighborhood of Casablanca where this family lived. Meanwhile, within the family itself, uh, there's sort of this mysterious aversion to photography that's kind of spearheaded by the grandmother. She wouldn't allow photographs in the house, and so there's practically no photographic record of this family's personal history and and uh, sort of you know the the period of time in which the filmmaker and her mother were both growing up. So, in order to tell these stories, when there's no archive you know photographic archive to draw on she invites some of her family members to construct these uh very intricate figurines and very elaborate very richly textured but also you know handcrafted models replicating the neighborhood and the the interiors of these buildings and it's a very obliging family my my parents would uh kick me out <laughs> it's it's fascinating to see the 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 ways in which she brings her family into this yeah. documentary to tell their story and you know the w- the way the reenactments play out it's not stop motion it's you see the filmmaker's hand or one of her family members manipulating the figures through the environments as they tell the story and that alternates with images of or rather with the uh, uh, scenes of them producing the figures and the models and all throughout they're sort of weaving in the family narrative amongst this political narrative and it's just very elegantly uh uh sort of balanced between these two this this tension of personal and political that i thought was uh impressive for a first-time filmmaker um and and really a use of this sort of model-based storytelling that Uh, felt very vivid and very immediately imbued with emotion. The second film that I want to talk about is also a documentary, also a first-time filmmaker, a somewhat similar title even. It's called God is a Woman. The director is Andres Perrault, who is a Swiss Panamanian uh, filmmaker. And it takes place among the indigenous Kuna community, which is one of the oldest tribes in the region of of Panama. Uh, They live on islands off the coast of Panama and they are technically independent. They had a revolution in the 1920s where they established their own independence. And to this day, they uh, maintain, you know, this this, uh, cohesive community. Uh, And the film is set in the present day, but very much looking back at a period in the 70s when a French documentarian, Pierre-Dominique Gassot, came to live among the Kuna with his family and made this ethnographic documentary about the people and the community and uh, the, the village and promised to show this film to the community when he was done with it, did not that did not end up happening for reasons that the film sort of teases out. And ultimately the film was thought to be lost, rediscovered only in recent years and finally restored. Uh, And so the film traces the efforts of the people in this community to uh, sort of pursue and follow the destiny of this film, help to sort of track it down, track down the elements that were missing and bring them back to the community to, project into, you know, many of the members of the community who were in the film are still alive or are still remembered by, you know, their their family members. So much like The Mother of All Lies, this film ends up being about memory and collective memory and sort of cl- the ways in which uh, an ind- individual family or uh, town remembers its own history, remembers its sort of political position and you know it was, it's very um affecting to watch this film on the first day of a film festival because it's about communal viewing and the, the significance and importance of sort of geographically situating a screening where that screening needs to happen and it, it just uh, uh i found it to be um very deftly told it's it's a much less uh sort of Formally experimental than the other documentary I spoke about, but it's so sort of impressively assured and really thoughtful in the ways that it allows the subjects to take on authorship of uh, aspects of the film. And I, uh, I'll leave it there. But I recommend both of these documentaries and um, hope that people will catch them uh, in the coming days of the festival.
0: Well. Mother of all lies and God is a woman sounds like a great double bill that I will definitely add to my schedule. It also sounds like a great note for us to wrap up on. You know, seems that we all caught some very strong films today. Thank you both for joining me to share those with the audience. And I'm... <laughs> What is happening right now? <laughs> we're we,
1: we're leaning into the microphone together like backup singers, yeah. Because we only th- have one microphone, and I I was trying to come up with something for us to say together, which I think is, uh, be... <laughs>
0: guys, we all live to to from bed. Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it's the Film Common Podcast. Um, we need to go to bed. We need to wake up and see the new Miyazaki film, and I'm gonna try and catch these two clowns over here tomorrow for another podcast, uh, but. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you so much.
1: Good night, Toronto.
0: The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Eingy. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism. Publishing in depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream art house and avant garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.